We're back. You're listening to Money Talks. I'm Troy Harmon. I'm here with Jarrett McKenzie and Casey Smith, a couple of CFPs, most fun guys in town, I'm sure. Was that Hootie and the Blowfish coming it back was from break there? The Hootie and the Blowfish. Bringing it back. Oldie I only yep. want to be with you. <laughs> Those are the good 20 years in the making, right? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, as we always do, we take questions from listeners. And uh, if you have a question that you would like to have uh, put on the air, have us answer on the air, you got several options. You can either email us at drgene at hensler.com. Hensler is spelled H E N S S L E R.com. Uh, you can also call our 1-855-429-9166, our question hotline. That's, again, 1-855-429-9166. If you leave your question uh, on our answering machine, we can actually play it for you, as we had one last week, and uh, we'll play the question for everyone to hear, and then we'll answer it in kind. So, uh uh, if you're in the local area and you just want to get in touch with Hensler Financial, you can also call us 770-429-9166. So this week, our good friend Ed Kelly emailed us with a question. Actually, it's a two-parter. He says, uh, what is your current opinion on AFLAC? And also, what is your take on technical analysis of the market? So uh, we'll go ahead and take them in turn. AFLAC, uh, insurance company, they have uh, uh, supplemental insurance, uh, health and life insurance products, probably best known for their cancer rider policies. Uh, And because of that, believe it or not, the company is uh, headquartered right here in Georgia, down in uh, Columbus. That's right. Columbus, Columbus. Georgia. And... uh, they uh, believe it or not, though, 72% of their revenue is generated in Japan. So, with that being the situation, you would imagine that uh, while it's a domestically headquartered company, it actually holds a lot. Insurance companies are strange in, in as much as about half of their income generally is generated from their premiums, their policies, how well they write those policies, you know, having few losses for an insurance company. Is a real big plus. I wonder what it is about the Japanese market that makes it so concentrated. That seems. I was hoping you would high. ask. Uh, so I said the the uh, uh, cancer riders, mm-hmm. uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, oh. when they were when they were bombed in World War II. Actually, there's a lot of folks in Japan that whether they get it or not, uh, they they worry about cancer. So uh, hmm. Aflac has made quite a business out of uh, uh, selling them insurance against that. Uh, possible outcome. If you look at the details, uh, one of the things that's hurt the company recently, they missed earnings by a pretty wide margin, um, 18, uh, 15 cents, about 5.4% earnings missed for the fourth quarter of 16. That was just released uh, at the end of January. Um, if you look at the company, they pay out a dividend, 2.42%, very well covered at four times coverage. Uh, earnings are, are well able to to uh, cover that, uh, there's there's really just not a whole lot uh, positive going on at the moment. I think the overwhelming majority of analysts have the company as a hold, uh, so they're not shouting sell it. But if you look, uh, it's it's well managed uh, investments relative to liabilities, 102 percent. Uh, insurance reserves uh, to total assets actually are. are uh, uh, pretty attractive uh, debt to assets, 4.1%, so very low debt. Uh, but again, you know, 72% of the, the company's uh, revenues are sourced 
from Japan, uh, and if you think about what's going on, the Japanese market has very low interest rates right now. We've got a strong dollar, so uh, the operations for AFLAC are having to be repatriated, and when you do that under a strong dollar policy, obviously it makes your earnings uh, in, a, in a weaker currency actually right. look weaker. Uh, low interest rates hurt them uh, when you have uh, many of their assets the way this works, they take in premiums, they buy bonds with them, they try to match the, the liabilities of the company. If they can uh, get a fix on that, they'll try to match them in duration at least to the to the uh, uh, assets that are held. So quite often they'll be holding uh, bonds from companies outside the United States. Sure. Uh, when those bonds are paying very low interest rates, guess what? They're not going to be making a whole lot from, uh, from their um, – uh, their investment portfolio. So, so not a buy holding from Mr. Troy Harmon. That is correct. We've actually held AFLAC in the past, and and one of the reasons that we uh, uh, decided to to move back away from that is uh, uh, back when when uh, Greek was having all, Greece was having all their problems. They owned quite a bit of Greek debt, and uh, it made sense for them operationally to do it. But as an investor, when their Greece is having a crisis, uh, you surely don't want to be caught in those crosshairs. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I would not recommend um, buying AFLAC at the moment. Now, to answer your question about technicals. Um, I've been looking forward to this. I want to see what the fundamental guy says. Yes. uh, Well, you you stole my thunder. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, When you're talking about technical analysis, uh, there are people out there that think that you can look at either a stock or the overall market and tell what's going to happen just by looking at their price. Current relative to what's happened in history, they've got all manner of patterns that they'll talk about. I'm sure if anybody's listening to us right now and uh, hearing me talk negatively about technical analysis, they're going to say, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I look at it from time to time, but I I really can't get over the fact that you don't worry about whether or not the company has earnings, whether it even right. generates revenue. You just look at the price action and you make a decision off of that. Yes, it's pretty speculative to a degree, right? I mean, if, you, if you're not basing it on the underlying you know, company aspects that, that a fundamental investor would, then... There's some speculation involved. That's kind of how I've always viewed it. I, there may be some merit to it, not to say that there's not. Right. But well, we've talked about it before in the sense of just if you know that it's a good company that you want to own from a fundamental standpoint, you can use technicals to some extent as far as Time. trying to figure out when you want to get in and exactly. get out, even though we don't recommend timing the market. You know, our, I guess our take on it, Troy, and correct me if I'm wrong, would be if it fu- fundamentally makes sense for you, that's when some technical analysis could come in right. into play. Even even then, I would prefer uh, using um, using price ratios relative to their history. But quite often, you can use uh, momentum to uh, determine whether or not it's a good time to buy, if it's about to contract or if it's about to expand. I did look at the market relative to uh, the moving average convergence divergence indicator. It's a chart that uh, a lot of technical analysts look at. Right now, the S&P 500 looks like something that's probably viable. Uh, but think about what's happened since uh, since right before the election. The market's up over 10%. Right. And it, it had a, a small, uh, I guess it stopped inside for a second. So... If you're going to be a long-term uh, it, investor, I mean, then that it's not really that important to you. Right, but during that 10% increase, the market would give you an indication that it was both a buy at one point and then a sell and now a buy again. So right. uh, you really wind up, you would have to trade quite a bit if you were going to follow a, a, a strategy like that. We got a question from a listener here. 
want to go right. through. Uh, Bob from Swanee says, uh, I like to invest in individual stocks, but my advisor is insisting on putting me in a few exchange-traded funds, ETFs, I think it's better known as. Don't these have hidden fees that will eat away at my profit, if uh, the profit I'm, I make? Uh, these are big-name ETFs, Vanguard, MSCI, EAFE ETF. Wow, that's a bunch of letters. Uh, Wisdom Tree, DEFA Fund, etc. So uh, I know he's not selling me a proprietary product. Why can't I just buy individual stocks? So um, actually, it sounds very similar to what we do. Right. Uh, Generally speaking, we, we uh, buy a client a portfolio of individual stocks. Uh, there's good reason for that. Number one, I think we talked about it last week. Uh, we like to invest in high quality. Uh, it's seldom that you can find a uh, portfolio packaged in that manner with just high quality stocks. If we bought the passive um, exchange-traded fund, where we were buying the S&P 500, which most of us consider kind of the domestic benchmark for the stock market, um, you get the good and the bad. And about half of the companies in the S&P 500 do not uh, adhere to our cr uh, quality criteria. So, uh, you know, in short, that's what we do. However, there are times when if we want exposure, uh, say we have a, a portfolio that's made up mostly of large cap companies, we will buy... Uh, small percentages of, of uh, mid-cap and small-cap stocks, even internationals. And within that portfolio of domestic companies, we also use it uh, from time to time, an exchange-traded fund, just to get exposure to a specific sector. So, yeah, you know, right. utilities or uh, a, a great example here is, is materials. Materials, materials yeah. makes up less than 3% of the S&P 500. In order for me to buy five or six stocks within the, the materials sector, uh, you're going to wind up, and, and not only that, materials are heavily um, weighted toward chemical companies. So there's two that really dominate and make up about a quarter of that whole material sector, and that's DuPont and Dow Chemical. If you bought those two stocks, then you have 25% of the material sector total, mm -hmm. no matter what, uh, depending on your weights, obviously. Um, you would have to buy three or four more, and they they're, they become insignificant as to, to uh, giving you more diversification to give you kind of that feel for the sector itself. So uh, the things you want to watch for, and, you know, it seems like the fear here is uh, big fees and, and the fees within the fund mm -hmm. um, being returned to us as the RIA. Right. That does not happen. Right. Uh, but but also those exchange traded funds quite quite often have relatively low fees. Some sure. some you know as low as five or six basis points or 006 percent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's what's attractive about the the ETS is that it's a relatively inexpensive way to get exposure to those areas, add some diversification to your portfolio, without having to buy you know for for the mid cap and small cap space like you mentioned. You know, we do have a mid-small cap uh, uh, portfolio of individual stocks, but, it, you know, it's about what, 60 or 70 stocks. Yeah, right. Yeah, so, you'd I mean, have to buy 70 stocks to get that high-quality yeah. feel. Exactly. So, to Bob's question, I think the, the reason the advisors may be doing that is to, to lower the transaction cost, yep. like, like Casey say, instead of buying a number of individual stocks, to get the diversification that he would he would need to get 
uh, in order, you know, by owning all of those additional stocks. So right. the diversification, lower trading cost is, is a big push for the exchange traded fund. And as far as the fee goes, I don't know that it's not an actively managed fund, so they should be relatively low if you were to compare it to, say, a mutual fund. Right, yeah, now, they just use somebody else's work, whoever's made up the, the – uh, uh, the index, and they, they kind of mimic the index, the holdings right, right. within the index. I mean, and, and that kind of ties into our last point about the, you know, the situation we were looking at earlier about fees and right. um, you know, another component of what advisors charge you is sort of indirect, and it's through the investments that they put you in. Yep. So, you know, ETFs are one way to, in, in our opinion, a pretty good way if you're not going to use individual stocks to get some exposure to, to those areas and be able to, to uh, attain a diversified portfolio without a whole lot of cost. Um, there is some, but it's not nearly as much as you would get in a, in a mutual fund. Right. Um, and, you know, last week we talked about the difference between active and passive investing in mutual funds versus ETFs, actively managed and passively managed. Sure. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to piggyback on that a little bit, there is a place for passive management, and we didn't mean to, if we came across that way last <laughs> week, to sound like there isn't a place because there definitely is in some instances. And we use it. And we use it right. as part of a as part of an actively managed strategy, though. Sure. So that's, the, that's sort of the difference. Well, I, you know, guys, I would sit and probably argue with a stump, but uh, I could argue the case against passive management. No matter what you do, you can you can avoid uh, – there's there's – two major things that you have to do if you're a portfolio manager. Number one, you pick uh, the individual stocks you want to hold, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what we would call selection. Uh, But then if you're going to hold a little bit of the domestic market and some of the international market, you're going to buy some bonds, you're going to have to decide how much of each you buy. That's called the allocation decision. You show me somebody who has made a passive portfolio, totally passive, where there is no the decision made on how much of each of those asset classes or markets mm-hmm. uh, they want to uh, gain exposure to. And I'll show you something amazing. Uh, I'll tell you how to make this point. You can go on uh, Morningstar.com. Uh, they have uh, portfolios that they call, it's like a, um, a lifestyle strategy, either uh, aggressive, moderate, or conservative. Uh, conservative. And you look at the conservative funds, and I guarantee you there's a one-star and a two-star and a three-star and a four-star <laughs> and a five-star, just right. to belabor the point. Yep. There is a reason, because everything that you look at that says it's conservative is not as conservative as the next guy, or maybe it's more conservative than the next guy. Right. Those five stars indicate the top 10% is a five-star, the bottom 10% is a one-star, and there's those three in between. The performance is going to be different, and they're still telling you, no, this is a passive strategy. I can't buy it. Right. Yeah. Well, I would say to Bob, I mean, you're asking why can't I buy individual stocks? I mean, obviously you can, but number one, you're going to increase your transaction cost, which will eat into your your performance and your profit. And secondly, you're probably going to increase your risk if you, unless you're able to go out and buy a properly diversified set of new securities in order to gain exposure to that international sector, that small mid cap sector, all of that. And it's all it's all a matter of preference. So if you think you can make it up by owning certain companies in those sectors, then maybe it is worth owning them. But I think your advisor has a point and and uh, obviously a reason here, a valid one that we, you know we would consider to be anyways uh, for for owning the ETF. Uh, one more final comment about uh, about a reason that you would want to use ETFs in your portfolio management decisions. 
say, um, and we did this recently, we wanted to lower our exposure to one of the asset classes that we're talking about. Instead of having to, as Casey said, you know, if we wanted small and mid caps to be a smaller portion, we would have to sell 70 companies That's in right. order to totally get away from that space. Right. Whereas if you're using an exchange traded fund, you can make one transaction and be away from the whole the whole uh, asset the class, and, yeah. and you're not going to ramp up all the costs for the specific client. So there's really good reasons sometimes to use uh, those. Now, on the other side, we could talk all day about the reason that we do individual stocks being mostly tax uh, and, you know, the exposure yeah. like I talked about before. Uh, with quality. Uh, guys, let's cover one more real quick. Uh, Richard from Douglasville says, I have a small investment in Package Corporation of America. I'd like your thoughts to see. Uh, I thought I'd see a bump in, in the third or fourth quarter, and he did. Uh, the investment isn't much, so short-term gains don't scare me. But uh, before I sell in February or March, I should ask, is it worth holding? Um, ultimately, I look at this. It's a kind of a boring company. Uh, you know, they make... Uh, container board, so cardboard. It's a paper uh, company. What's boring about that? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not so really sustainable. Exciting, but Amazon probably thinks it's lovely right yeah, now. That's true. Yeah. Uh, all things considered, it has gotten a little bit expensive. It's got a negative EVA spread. Uh, it's about 13% overvalued at the moment, and I'll be honest with you, I don't see a reason to get rid of it. There's probably good reasons to hang on to it, uh, and I would recommend doing just that. So, guys, we're coming to the end of the show, and, Jared, I'll give you a chance for redemption. What do you think the market is going to do this week? There's no way it happens two weeks in a row. It's going to be down this time next Jared, week. Jared, boo. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I'm just playing the odds. Jared, playing the, it, odds. the odds are two-thirds, man. Yeah. Have you learned anything from we, Troy? We, we lost a week already, so two-thirds. I unfriend you, Jared. <laughs> Market's up. Market's up. All material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.